I'm going to use the handheld because the uh, folks at downtown could not escape my coughing. <laughs> I about popped the speakers about 15 times. So uh, this is as loud as it's going to get this morning uh, for me. Uh, there will be no singing, which I know is a great disappointment. Uh, but uh, welcome to Pollenville, America. And I think that the inside of my lungs feel like the outside of a tennis ball right now. So just a visual aid to help you connect with how I'm feeling. Um, so, yeah, not feeling great. But uh, go to Colossians 3 if you've got a Bible. And uh, we're going to continue on in what Randy taught about last week. Uh, and <clears throat> really the unfolding of a f the first kind of active reality that Paul says after he spells out the fact that we're chosen and holy and dearly loved and to be clothed with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here's what he says. It's in Colossians 3, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. I'll just read that. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, that sentence, forgive as the Lord forgave you, um, we're going to try to talk about that this morning. But honestly, guys, it's like, it would be like an, it's like an atom bomb of an idea. It, it's massive. Uh, and I would encourage you that although we'll dip in and out of some of that this morning, this really is an invitation I'm inviting you to say or into understanding this, that the rest of our lives should be marked by the journey of trying to understand the profundity of what has happened for us and the forgiveness that God has extended us as a result of Jesus Christ. So there's no way this morning, it'd be like trying to explain gravity in 30 minutes, all of the nuances of what gravity means. So, but we need to at least push into it a little bit, um, and we're going to try to do that this morning. So the first thing I'd like for us to connect is that the first functional thing Paul calls us to as a result of being clothed in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience is the, the command to forgive, to bear grievances of one another. And let's remember the Colossian church was a divided church. It was a church that was undergoing a lot of false teaching. And people were becoming very, very confused about who Jesus was, about who they were, who was better, who was worse. There was a lot of infighting going on in this church. And Paul is calling them to something. He's saying this is a, this is a principal outworking of who you are in Christ now. This is that we would be people who are marked by outrageous forgiveness. Forgiveness that's almost because we talk about this a lot here in Midtown, that's offensive, you know? Because the cross, isn't it an offense? That these new dispositions of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, that they would work out in us, like Christ in you, through the Holy Spirit, and they would find their full expression in how we forgive one another. Now, it's not <coughs> a stretch, Sorry, I said I was going to pull away when I coughed. <clears throat> it's not a stretch that probably everyone in this room has got a serious story behind this word, forgiveness. That if we admit this, we probably have people in our past that we have really struggled to forgive. 
maybe even today are struggling to forgive people in this room. Uh, And maybe we're even on the other side of that where we have offended somebody, we have wounded somebody so deeply by some words or some actions um, that has caused great separation in that relationship. I'd encourage us, we're going to consider something first, and this is going to kind of, I'm going to kind of frame what I believe is one of the real problems for us, one of the real challenges for us with forgiveness. And then we're going to go into this text and look at a couple of things that I think Paul's saying here, and then kind of come back to this problem and see how that applies. Does that make sense? Well, here's the problem. This is what I believe is one of our fundamental problems with forgiveness, why you and I struggle actively to implement this out in the world that we live in. And that's this, that we struggle to make a crucial separation or distinction between the offense, the thing that happened, the sin that we did against someone or the sin that was done against us, and the pain that was created by the offense. Now, hopefully this will make sense by the time we're done. The need to separate what actually happened, you said this, you did this, (coughs) and then the pain that gets caused as a result of that action. Because I'm here to say this morning that forgiveness can be extended for the offense even if the pain of the offense, and it does, doesn't it? Oftentimes takes a long time to leave. Sometimes it even takes a lifetime. Sometimes you you walk with the limp of that even though you extended forgiveness. Many people would say this. I asked a lot of people this this week. Why do you struggle to forgive? And they say these things. I cannot forgive them because I am still in pain because of what they have done to me. I just can't do it. I, I still hurt as a result of what they've done. <laughs> or some people feel really guilty and they say things like this. Well, I've really wanted to forgive them. I, I desire to forgive these people. Or I, I really desire to extend forgiveness but I must not have done it yet. Because if I'd forgiven him for doing that, uh, then I wouldn't still hurt about it. And I still hurt sometimes. Things can come up. I can sense something. You know, we have an odd interaction and I still feel the pain of that. So therefore, I must not actually have forgiven them. It's the principle that it's at work. If I've forgiven them, I wouldn't be in pain or if I feel no more pain, then I'm able to forgive them. Well, I would encourage you that this sentence, Christ, <coughs> forgive as Christ forgave you, it disproves that notion. That the forgiveness that Christ extended to you and I was not at the expense of his pain. He was okay with everything and feeling great. You just go read the account of Gethsemane. Or go read Luke 23 where it talks about him hanging on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they do. I would suggest that the healing of the pain, and it's real, isn't it? It's the thing that oftentimes keeps us from extending forgiveness. The healing of the pain is something that is initially dependent. It's sparked by the choice to forgive the decision to say, I will forgive you. That unless you forgive, initial healing cannot begin. But the healing of that pain in its entirety, emphasis on the word entirety, the whole amount of pain, 
may take years, even a lifetime. So what I'm saying to you this morning, this is important. Forgiveness is for you to begin to heal just as much as it is for the individual who needs to be forgiven. You, for you to begin to heal, have to forgive. Not just for that person to begin to heal, for you. And we see this, don't we? We see people, Patty Griffin sings about it (coughs) in forgiveness. We're swimming with snakes at the bottom of the well, so silent and peaceful in the darkness where we fell, but we are not snakes. Once more, we never will be, but if we keep swimming down here, we'll never be free. That something's happened for us as a result of being in Christ. This is what Paul's been talking about for chapters now. You're no longer a snake. This isn't who you are. But if you keep swimming down here, you will literally never be free from the pain of the wound that happened to you. And you need to be free. You're called to be free. Galatians 5 says for freedom that Christ set us free. We all know people like this. Maybe you're one of them who are walking around the halls of that past life like a ghost. Literally, everything in their life is looked at through the filter of this was done to me. And I can't get over it. You become haunted. You become imprisoned. You become a snake at the bottom of the well. But that's not who you are. Let's go back to the text and look at a couple of things that I believe Paul's inviting us to understand. I believe these things are foundational for us to understand, to begin to be a people marked by forgiveness, one, and then people who can actually begin to heal from the pain that those wounds have caused and the pain that we've caused other people. And the first is this. Paul's assumption of the reality that we're going to hurt one another and therefore need to bear with one another and forgive one another. And the second is this, and we're going to talk about these two terms and you'll hear me use them. The essence of what does it mean to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And these two terms, identification, that the Lord, to forgive us, had to become us. He had to identify with us. Is made in our likeness in order to not just atone for our sin, but Hebrews talks about the fact that, sorry, I saw someone point and I was like, oh goodness, uh, not only to atone for our sin, but also to help us in doing this. Because can, can we just stop for a moment and be honest? I do not have it within me, in and of myself, apart from Christ, to give out this type of forgiveness. Because it means I have to see myself as equal to the person who has hurt me. And it also means this, because this is the nature of God's forgiveness. It's a self-substitutionary forgiveness. We actually take the pain on. We don't make them pay for it. We absorb it. And it's a deeply painful experience. So first, let's look at this. Because I think this is important. Paul's assumption. The first thing that struck me is there's no if in this passage. If you happen to hurt one another, (coughs) bear with one another. Sometimes it's what's in Scripture that surprises you. Sometimes it's what's not there. Paul's a realist. He understands that any relationship between two human beings, this is going to happen. Even two human beings who are in Christ, you are going to hurt one another. 
If you're around me long enough, I will give you a reason to hate me. That's just the bottom line. And we do it intentionally and unintentionally. I mean, I can think of times where I specifically chose to just badmouth someone, to hurt someone, to slander them, to be malicious and angry. All the things that Paul talked about earlier in Colossians 3. But I can even do it unintentionally. I can be joking about something that to me is just no big deal, but to you, because of something that's happened in your past, you have some massive wound as a result of this. Have you ever seen it happen when you're, you're making fun of something or something and you kind of see the person's face start to change and then you realize, oh no. <laughs> wow. I, we're, I thought we were kind of communicating up here and now we're like way down here and I've just offended you. I've hurt you and I don't even know that I did it. This may seem small, but I would challenge you to look at the relationships of your life on a functional level. Do you have this, this sort of gospel realism in your relationships? Have you embraced the truth that, that grieving, that bearing one another's burdens, that forgiving one another, this is a part of our life in Christ? Or do you spend most of your time and energy hopping from relationship to relationship, looking for something that doesn't exist? a pain-free, suffering-free, conflict-free, grievance-free life. Maybe I need a new boyfriend. Maybe I need a new husband. Maybe I need a new small group. <coughs> Maybe I need a new group of friends. Maybe I need a new church. This isn't really doing it for me anymore, and some people in here really bother me. Do you recognize the tendency within yourself to move towards relationships that are conflict-free. To jump ship at the first sign of conflict and pain. Or maybe you're someone who just lives at a comfortable distance from everyone. I'm just going to keep everyone at, at arm's distance because that's the way to make conflict not happen. In fact, I'm going to keep myself at arm's distance from myself. Because avoidance of suffering in relationships is the highest value in my life. I just want things to be easy and okay, and I want everybody to be cool. Just be cool. <clears throat> so how does this happen? How do we get taken captive by that thought all the time? Paul warns us of this. And I believe he's, he's inviting us to understand why this happens in the second part of this verse where he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, a very small part of this verse, but this, it's the as. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because the as highlights something. It highlights the difficult cost of true Christian forgiveness. The pain that you will endure if you choose to forgive people that you will have to bear on someone else's behalf because they have hurt you, because they have sinned against you. The as is very, very, very powerful here. So let's look at a few things. Well, before we do that, I'll say this. Because to bear grievances means to take it upon yourself. It's the actual Greek word there. It says to take upon oneself, to sustain, to endure. You see the self-substitutionary nature of what he's inviting us into understanding? Bearing grievances isn't just like, eh, it's no big deal. You know, oh, whatever. 
I'm just not going to deal with that or I'm going to create some separation. Bearing it is literally taking it upon yourself. And I'd encourage us that the world has its own as. The gospel has its own as. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, but the world's got its own as, doesn't it? I will forgive you as long as you admit you did something wrong. You repent for your actions. You prove to me, let's get a little, little penance going here. You prove to me through your ongoing behavior that you are actually sorry. And I'll tell you when you've done enough of that behavior for me to actually let it go. I'll forgive you as long as you make restitutions, as long as you pay for it. I'll forgive you as long as you suffer as much as I have had to suffer. The list could go on forever. And I'd encourage you guys that it does go on forever unless we lean into the atom bomb of forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because the as in that is saying this, that those of us who are in Christ now, we're called to the same degree and nature of forgiveness that Christ enacted on our behalf. The same degree, 70 times seven, you remember the story from the Gospels, how many times should I forgive my brother? A limitless forgiveness. And the same nature, that we literally incur the pain ourselves, that we bear it. That should cause you to take a deep gulp. (laughs) And I'm gonna take one with a glass of water real fast. (laughs) Because if we truly understand how we are forgiven by God, none of the conditions that we just said in the world's as, none of the measuring sticks by which we distribute forgiveness, none of those apply. None of them. Christ's forgiveness was a choice. It was a volitional act. It was an act of his will. And it was rooted and fueled by his deep love for us. Scripture tells us that. But I'd encourage you, because we're such a feelings-based group of individuals, his love for us is something that cannot be contained in what we describe as our feelings. (laughs) which is how most of us describe love. I feel in love. It's ruddier than that. It's more serious than that. It's more stable. I feel like garbage this morning physically. (laughs) So let's break this down for a sec, and then I'm gonna wrap it up with a little bit of a story. Because we can acknowledge it now, can't we? It's true. We actually should expect to need to bear with one another. Paul's saying this is a part of life in Christ. You're gonna need to forgive and you're gonna need to be forgiven. That's a realistic part of life in Christ. So how do we begin to step into this journey, step into this reality of forgive as the Lord forgave you? There are two things, (coughs) and they start with remembering. There are two things that happen when we remember. And remember's kind of a puny word. I'd love to use the word like marinate or saturate, or immerse, or drowned. Because remember, it's just kind of like, oh, remember when? It's more than that. It's a constant 
turning of one's face to this truth. That when we remember, that leads us to identify something. And what the first thing it is, is that we identify with the person who did wrong to us. I found that it's very, very hard to be mean to my wife when I look in her eyes. Because I see who she really is, and I see who I really am. I literally, sometimes you can actually see your reflection. Don't you? We, when we remember the truth of the gospel, we identify even with the, some of the people who have most deeply wronged us, we see ourselves in them. We see the same sin. Maybe it didn't manifest itself in that way in this person or didn't manifest itself that way in me, but it's the same sin. It's got the same root. So identification is one. And what happens when we identify, when we actually begin to identify with those who have wronged us or, or they identify with us, it puts us in the place to receive the grace from the Lord to actually bear and to forgive, to take on the pain of the offense. And he even, in fact, and we'll talk about this in a second, he heals us when we do that. He begins the process of healing us. So without identification, there is no self-substitution. I cannot bear it. I can't put myself in their place if I don't see myself as equal to them. <coughs> I must identify with the offender. Now, this is our natural tendency. This is the tendency of the Colossians. If you read in 3.11, they had already, even though they believed the gospel, Paul made that very clear, they had already gone back to comparing themselves. Jew and Greek, slave or free. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't fall back into this. Don't go to the world's as. He says in 3.11, Christ is in all and is all. He's saying, this is your identity now as Christ followers, not in the other things that we choose to identify ourselves with. See, when we sin against somebody or when they sin against us, our natural tendency is to distance ourselves, isn't it? I got in a car accident this week. A young lady pulled out in front of me. Um, I hit her. I did some damage to her vehicle. Uh, technically, I guess by the law, it was her fault. <coughs> Scary. Um, she's fine, I'm fine. Um, but it was amazing to me, and I'm gonna tell you just how gross it is, how gross I am. <laughs> she got out, um, she had those giant sunglasses on, you know, the, fa the kind that make your face look like a bug, because they're so big and she's so little. And I I'll tell you exactly, here's, here is the, I didn't have to think about it, it just, it sprung forth, and it shows just how depraved I am. Oh. <laughs> She's the kind of person that makes things like this happen. Of course. She was probably texting and painting her toenails and changing a CD and <laughs> talking to her three girlfriends who weren't in the car, but imagining the conversations that they're going to have later tonight <laughs> over a glass of wine. I mean, I'm not kidding, guys. It's, it's that dark that immediately standing there, I began to say, no, no, no. She's the kind of person who makes bad driving decisions, not me. So it's a good thing the law is going to find her at fault because ultimately she is at fault. We create distance. It's one of the greatest struggles of our lives is to identify with the people who have sinned against us. To do the, the choice act of saying, Lord, even when they offend us, when they hurt us, when they wound us, saying, asking this question, just stopping for a second, saying, Lord, would you reveal to me where exactly in my own life 
I've done this exact same thing. Would you, would you do that? Would you invite me into understanding my own need of you to the same degree that this person needs my, your forgiveness right now? We see this in Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. I would encourage you to study it if you ever have time. If you want to understand forgiveness, this is a great place to start. A king calling in all these little sub-kings to settle up debts, and he finds one of them who owes him 10,000 talents. It's an outrageous sum of money. Scholars would say sometimes in the billions and trillions is what this could have been estimated, more than you could ever earn in a lifetime. And he was unable unable to pay it. And the master had said, I'm going to throw you and your wife and your children into jail. And the servant fell on his knees and he says, be patient with me. He begged, I will pay you back everything. Which is such an absurd claim. We don't even have the time to talk about that this morning. But it says this, that the servant's master took pity on him. He had pity. And pity is a busted word in in our English vocabulary. He had compassion on him. His heart went out to him, is the actual translation. He identified with this man. He saw himself in this man, and he had mercy on him. Jesus was said to grieve the fact that, he said, I'm mourning and I'm weeping for the people of Israel because they're a sheep without the shepherd. He was understanding the plight, (laughs) entering in. Well, the servant didn't really understand this. In fact, it said he refused later to extend the same forgiveness. He found a man who owned him a hundred denarii, a much smaller sum of money, (coughs) and said he choked him and threw him into prison until he paid it back. And obviously, the master's response, you can read it in Matthew 18, uh, was he was shocked (coughs) because he had extended such massive forgiveness to the man. And then in his refusal I think the, the, the magnitude of this, it's not so much that even he refused to extend the same forgiveness. The, the bigger refusal was the refusal to understand the massive debt that he had to the master. That was the first refusal. He refused to let that truth saturate his every bit of his being. So we must identify with the offender. Because when we do, we take pity on him. Our hearts go out to them. We show mercy. And the amazing thing is this. We're invited to understand this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's It's a pretty encompassing statement. It's saying we're all in the same boat. It's saying if you think of yourself more highly than someone else in this room, then you are misunderstanding something fundamental about the gospel and about humanity. The amazing thing is is that Christ did this. His forgiveness was as someone who was sinless. (laughs) Someone who by choice became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we might actually begin to forgive with the outrageousness that he has forgiven us. Hebrews talks about it. Philippians talks about it. Jesus being made into our likeness, not just to atone for us, but so that he could help us 
those who are being tempted. And we need his help, don't we? I need his help. His self-substitution for us makes our self-substitution possible. It's the only way it happens. The only way I can bear with someone else's grievances is if I'm embracing fully the substitution he's made for me. Miroslav Volf, who's a Yale professor, says this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. I exclude the enemy from the community of human beings and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Our willingness to identify with those who have offended us, wounded us, wronged us, it directly impacts our ability to actually forgive them. And not just impacts our ability to forgive them, but to begin the process of healing from the pain that's been caused. So how do we do this? We do what Randy talked about last week. We remember that we're chosen. We remind ourselves of that, that it was a decision, that we're holy, we're dearly loved, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And I would encourage you that in that remembrance, something happens, because it's not just remembering some kind of past event that Jesus did for us on the cross, because we serve a living and risen Savior. We celebrated that at Easter. What happens in the remembrance is that we experience him. Scripture tells us that we're actually brought into his presence. When we're in his presence, what happens? What happened to people when they were in Jesus' presence? Healing occurred. He heals us from our false views of ourselves. He heals us from the wrath that we have for other people when they've wounded us. He gives us his compassion, his kindness, his humility. Those are not just virtues, y'all. They're actually aspects of his nature. And we're called to be participators in that. He's saying that's possible. So the power is not just in remembrance, but it's experiencing the living and risen Christ. It's why we can even celebrate. Ugh, this is hard to even say. Celebrate the wounds that have happened in our lives because we see them as opportunities to experience him. I'll close with this story. Some of you are familiar with Corrie Ten Boone. (coughs) She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She was a Dutch woman, World War II. She hid Jews from the Nazi Germans and uh, eventually got caught doing it and was imprisoned. Her entire family was imprisoned. Her father, her sister, I think almost her entire family died in this experience. She went on, she was, I think, the only person in her family to get out. She went on to teach uh, in a role at a church there in Holland, or the Netherlands, if you'd prefer to say that. I wish our country had two names. I kind of think that's fun. I guess it's America and USA. Anyways, uh, wow, I don't know where that came from. <coughs> Here's what she says after teaching one day, and a guard from the, the Secret Service was there. She says, it was at a church in Munich that I saw him. 
a former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in at the processing center at Ravensbrook, which is the jail she was in. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. You hear what she's describing. She's saying, I wasn't feeling the anger of what had happened to me. I'd, I was teaching in a place in Munich, but as soon as I saw him, it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing. Betsy, her sister, her pain-blanched face. The pain, even though I believe she had actually stepped into forgiveness, the pain was real like that. Listen to how she describes this. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand <coughs> was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people at Blumendahl on the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. You see the invitation? She's seeing her own sin, not just this man's sin. I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give him your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not our forgiveness anymore, sorry, I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but it's on his. It's on his forgiveness. It's on his goodness that healing happens. When he tells us to love our enemies, <coughs> he gives, along with the command, the love itself. It's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, to even embrace what this woman is saying. The magnitude of the forgiveness. That she needed healing that day just like he did. And she needed to raise her hand and put it in his for that to happen. She had to make a choice like Jesus made a choice. And in that choice, in that decision, he began to heal her. Because she forgave as the Lord forgave her. She risked it. She stepped out in grace and in faith and did it. It's mind-boggling.
Hmm. The unhealed pain, guys. For the pain to be healed, you have to embrace the truth. And she embraced it here. That in their wounding of you, they did not, in fact, in your wounding of someone else, they did not, in fact, sin simply against you, but against God himself. And therefore, your healing cannot come simply from their actions, their response, their owning it. They're paying for it. But that healing must also come from God himself. <clears throat> you see the freedom here? It frees us from making their response the key to our forgiveness as well as the key to our healing. So expect it. Expect it, guys. This is hard. Life is hard. Christian life is hard. You, if you're gonna be a part of a community, <coughs> are gonna have to forgive. You're gonna have to bear with one another. Allow the gospel to humble you. Allow it to saturate your life that you might identify fully with those who have wronged you. That he would give you the grace to see yourself no better than they. And that you would begin to experience him in that place. Because when we do, he transforms us. He transforms us into his likeness. We begin like Moses with unveiled faces to reflect his glory. We become people who forgive as he forgave us. Let me pray for us. <coughs> Lord, this is, it is a big thing to swallow. It is very hard to even begin to get our heads around what you've done. Lord, I just pray uh, even now for us that you would explode the as of your forgiveness, that we would understand the depth of what it meant that you became man to atone for our sin so that you become a priest and mediate for us, that we would understand the depth of that self-substitution, Lord, that we would remember it often. We love you, Lord, in your name, amen.